Romans chapter 8, verses 1 through 6. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, for the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. So as I typically do, I'd like to ask you a question to start. And that question is, do you want to sin? Do you want to do things that are not right? Or would you prefer to do what's right as a general rule? I think most of us, we don't want to do wrong things. On his wedding day, every husband wants, in fact, cannot think otherwise than to be utterly faithful to his wife. Nobody enters into the marriage covenant with the desire to commit adultery in the future. But the question, do you want to sin, is a trick question. Because in another way, I could ask the same question and the only honest answer is yes. I do. Because here's something I know to be true of myself and of you. Within the last several hours, you most certainly have sinned. And it wasn't because you didn't want to. Well, this is a troublesome thing, isn't it? I don't want to, but I want to. Do you know that in the book of Galatians, there's a verse that says, you cannot do what you want to do? And that verse is in the middle of the context of, uh, of a chapter in which the Apostle Paul sets up a, a sort of essential conflict that exists in the life of every Christian person. Everyone who actually belongs to Jesus and that conflict is between the spirit and the flesh. And he says, the spirit wars against the flesh and the flesh against the spirit so that you can't do what you want to do. And you know, that cuts both ways. 
Here's the thing, you're going to disappoint one or the other. You will either be obedient and live in the love of Christ and fulfill the righteous requirements of his commandments, or you will live according to yourself, and then whatever you do, righteous or not, it's unrighteous. This struggle is observed by the Apostle Paul in the text we're coming to today in Romans chapter 6. You know, this is a famous text, you know, that what I want to do, I can't do. What I don't want to do, I keep finding myself doing it. That's why I asked, that's why I, it was kind of a trick question when I asked you, do you want to sin? No. No, of course you don't. I'm sorry, I said that was in chapter 6, didn't I? Some of you knew better. It's in chapter 7 where Paul does that. Well, we are in the middle of a discussion of the hinge verse in the book of Romans that begins chapter 12, two verses, chapter 12. They're printed in your bulletin. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. Now that text sort of implies a, a problem we have in doing right. And that is we don't necessarily know what it is. I'm, I'm sure you don't have to think too far back in the last few days where it wasn't clear to you what exactly would be the right thing to do in this or that situation. And here, the conclusion is that you'll be able to see it, that you'll be able to prove or to know by experience what God wants, what the will of God is, what actually is good and acceptable and perfect. Now I'm getting way ahead of myself. That's a lesson down the road. Today we're still on therefore, and we've been reviewing the book of Romans. In order to know what it is, I mean, Paul's urging us to do something here in Romans 12. Therefore means that what came before chapter 12 is the basis upon which he's urging us to do that. And the basis is the very gospel of Jesus Christ, which is the subject of the book of Romans. That the, the gospel, the good news, has been uh, made known. And he's elaborating that message. And he summarized it in chapter 1, where he said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ because it is the power of God. 
And again, I just want to point out to you that when you share the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, how you go about it is not the power. It's the power. So what you want to do is get it right. Because that's where the power is. Power of God for what? Salvation. To everyone who believes. To everyone who trusts himself to it. It is. It empowers that person for salvation. It is the power of God for salvation. And he says, for in it the righteousness of God has been revealed. So the gospel is a message of the revelation of the righteousness of God. Well, how can that be good news? That's not normally good news. When Isaiah encountered the righteousness of God face to face, he couldn't stand it. He needed to get out of there. He said, get me out of here, quite literally. For I'm a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. I cannot stand in the presence of a righteous God. So how is it good news that the righteousness of God has been revealed? Well, it's been revealed in the life of the Son of God made man, Jesus Christ. And his righteous life came to an end in his sacrificial atoning death. And in his death, he reconciles us to God. And in his death, he reconciles us to God by being a sacrifice for my sin and for yours. So that the wrath of God, which is also revealed from heaven, we read, against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness, which that, by the way, is true of every last one of us, but in the sacrifice of Christ, the wrath of God is received by Christ for me. So the judgment of God is executed and the mercy of God is made available. In the, one in the same act, it's the great, great, great miracle of miracles, good news of good news. And so I receive this righteousness. God counts it to me on the basis of my trusting myself to him in Christ. And we come to learn in chapter 5, we came to learn last week that that is in itself a, a, a ministry of the Spirit of God poured into the heart of a person. So the first 11, 12 verses of chapter 5 in the book of Romans are something like a hymn to the goodness of God's grace in Christ. And I would suggest to you that every now and then you just open your Bible to that treasure chest that is the first half of Romans chapter 5 and read about what is true about you 
because of what Christ did and not because of anything you did, but because of what he did and because in faith God has credited to you the life Christ lived, which was a life in perfect obedience to God. Then in the second half of Romans 5, we have a comparison. A comparison of Adam and Jesus. And in this chapter, in the second half of chapter 5, we find out what happened to me when Adam sinned. Something happened to me when Adam sinned. Something happened to you, to every last human being ever since when Adam sinned. In Romans chapter 5. Now this is the very old, well, goes right back to Romans chapter 5, doctrine of the Christian faith, which is the doctrine of original sin. Well, here it is. Therefore, just as through one man sin entered into the world and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. Something happened to me when Adam sinned. And now that way of saying it sometimes is a little confusing, but it's not the only way Paul says it here in chapter 5 of Romans. He says in verse 17, for if by the transgression of the one, death reigned through the one, much more those who receive the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one, Jesus Christ. So then as through one transgression, there resulted condemnation to all men. If you ask the question, when was I condemned? The answer is, when Adam bit the forbidden fruit. Not when I did, when he did. Condemnation to all men through one transgression. Even so, though, through one act of righteousness, there resulted justification of life to all. For as through the one man's disobedient, the many were made sinners. How did I become a sinner? It wasn't the day I first committed some violation of the law of God. It was the day Adam did. That sometimes doesn't seem fair. That's what happened. Even so, through the obedience of the one, the many will be made righteous. So the work of Christ is reversing this catastrophe. And we read here in chapter 5, he's not just reversing it. In other words, he's not just, he doesn't get you and me back to zero. There's more than just the forgiveness of sin and the redemption of
forgiveness of sin, in the redemption of Christ. (laughs) There's the credit of righteousness. In other words, when God judges me or you or anyone who has put his faith in Christ, when God judges that person, they are credited with the righteousness of Christ himself. That is way better than as if you never sinned. It certainly provides forgiveness of sins and provides the righteousness of Christ. And in fact, what we are going to learn now is not just the righteousness of Christ credited to you, but also the righteousness of Christ worked in you. And that's the current project. That righteousness worked in you. So in Adam, we had a disobedience leading to death. Well, here's how this works. Adam and Eve, having sinned, died. So you and me were born in death. That is, we were born in alienation from God already. And because we are not in right fellowship with God, we're alienated from God, because of that, we're not capable of actually producing righteous living. Even when we accidentally do the right thing, it's unrighteous because it's alienated from God, the source of all actual righteousness and life. So because we're dead already, we sin. And because we sin, we die. (laughs) We're trapped. Apart from the work of Christ, there is nothing at all you or I could do to remedy this situation. We don't even, if we read the Bible carefully, we don't even want to. We try to do the right thing more or less because it's good for us. But we're disconnected from God. That's the real problem. And what Jesus does is reconcile us to God. And because we're reconciled to God and because God imparts his spirit so we actually walk in actual real life day-to-day fellowship with the living God, we have a new kind of life. Before we were dead, now, according to scripture, we have been made alive again. You could look at Ephesians chapter 2 to find that explicitly stated. So in Adam, we were alienated from God. In Jesus, we're reconciled to God. Because of his obedience, there's a resurrection. (laughs) And because of that resurrection, there's a justification. I get credit for his righteousness. And because there's a justification, there's a resurrection of us. So even though we die, Jesus says, yet shall we live. I am the resurrection and the life. 
And he wasn't talking about his own resurrection. He was talking about the resurrection of those who put their faith in him. Well, this is good news. We have a new life in which God's actual righteousness can and will be realized. I know so far our progress on actually realizing the, right, the righteousness of Christ in our day-to-day -day lives is kind of short. I could do without the word kind of in that sentence. We're not really realizing it yet, but we can. That's what we're going to read in chapter 6. Our, our new head, because we're in Christ and not in Adam anymore, but because I'm in Christ, I have the righteousness of Christ, and that righteousness of Christ sets me apart and will make me grow in righteousness. The fruit of the Spirit is The Spirit lives in you. The life of the Spirit works into you and works out of you. Now this chapter concludes with this. So the law came in so that transgression would increase. What? So God gave the law so that there would be more sin? God wants there to be more sin? No, what it means is the, the transgression would increase means because now I've been told when I sin, I know what it is. Before, we read in, right here in Romans chapter 5, the, the death reigned. I mean, people were dying from Adam to Moses before the law was given. The law was given so that our awareness of God's righteousness would increase. So that now I know what a sinner I am. But then he says, where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. So that as sin reigned in, so that as sin reigned in death, even so grace would reign through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Now, <clears throat> I've heard any number of preachers say this, and I agree with it, that if you truly preach the good news of God's grace in Christ, people will ask this question. Oh, so I can sin then. And it won't be a problem. I think... If uh, nobody accuses you of encouraging people to sin, then you haven't actually preached the gospel as carefully as Paul did. Because it sounds like we're getting away with it. And there's a very real sense in which you are, because God's going to impute the righteousness of Christ to you, and he's not going to punish you for your sins. He's taken care of them all, even the ones you haven't thought of yet. So, Paul says, I know what you're thinking now. 
Here it is, beginning of chapter 6. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin so that grace may increase? So we should just go on sinning then. And grace will cover that. Glory to grace. That's why I began this morning with the question, do you want to sin? The obvious answer to which is no. You don't want to do wrong. You'd rather get it right. You'd rather do what's right than what's wrong by definition. It's wrong. I don't want to do that. Well, you might think that Paul's way of addressing this question would be something like this. No, if you sin, God will get you. Except he's just spent the first five chapters of Romans explaining how that even though you've sinned, God isn't planning to get you if you're in Christ. And there's a very temptation among preacher types to uh, revert to the law as law so that I will try to keep you from sinning. And the next two chapters of the book of Romans are all about how that won't work. So what does Paul say? Well, he gives the proposal. Should we remain in sin so that grace may increase? And then he says, don't be stupid. Sorry, it's, may, he, may it never be. No. No. That's... This may it never be in the Greek text is an annoyed no. No. How shall we who died to sin live in it? In other words, you want to do what now? What is it? I, I mean, what? You see, sin is the thing you were saved from and out of, and you want to jump back into the cesspool that Jesus just dragged you out of and you want to go swim in the cesspool again? That doesn't sound like a good idea. Don't do that. And then he gives even more of a basis. He says, you are united with Christ in his death. You died when he died. So God <laughs> executed your judgment in Christ by, I don't know how, placing you in Christ on the cross. So you died when he died, and that means when he rose, you rose, and that means you have a whole new, different kind of life, like he says in, uh, is it 1st or 2nd Corinthians? If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation, a whole new person, a whole new life and way of life. And this is confirmed by the giving of the Spirit so that the very thing that activated the life of Jesus activates your life, the Spirit of God himself. Oh my gosh. That is crazy good. And so you've been united with Christ. You died with Christ. You've been raised to Christ, with Christ. So you have New life in Christ. You're actually alive, so stop walking around dead. That's his argument in Romans 6. 
It's as though you were walking around with your hands tied behind your back your whole life. And the Lord Jesus has come along and untied you. And then you propose, so then I could walk around with my hands folded behind my back as much as I want? Well, that's idiotic. Or it's as though you were locked in a prison cell and Christ has come bringing the fulfillment of your sentence and opened the door and you say, oh, so I can stay in here now? What a stupid question. No. I mean, you can sit in there if you want to, but <laughs> come on. You're dead to sin. And so he proposes a way for us to think about this. In Romans chapter 6, he says, So then, consider yourselves, and that word literally means count. It's the same word that is used when God counts the righteousness of Christ to you. He says to you, count yourself dead. What? Yeah, dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. So you were subject, subject to sin, enslaved to sin, dead in your trespasses and sins, and now he has made you alive. Do the math. You were dead. Now you're not dead. So are you going to lay around in your grave? No. You see, the issue is who do you belong to? You did belong to sin, and now you belong to God. And he says, offer yourself to God as an instrument of righteousness. And you see in that verse that there's a clue that all real righteousness in human beings is human beings acting as God's instruments. If he's not doing it in and through you, then it is faulty self-righteousness. If he's doing it in you, through you, that's the real deal. So the question is, who do you belong to? Just like Jesus said, if you abide in me. <laughs> Apart from me, you can do a few good things. Nothing. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Do you see that the key here is whether you are in Christ or apart from Christ? That what we're talking about in Romans 6, when I say, yeah, I, give, I yield myself to God, God, use me as an instrument of your righteousness. In chapter 7, then, he goes on to talk about what never works. 
And that's the famous text. You know, I, always, I try to do right, I can't do it. I try not to do wrong, I always do it. I can't help myself. Here's what never works. You reading the Bible and trying to do what it says. Can you believe you just heard a preacher say that never works? You reading the Bible and trying to do what it says never works. That's what Paul's talking about. Here's another way of saying it. You trying to do what's right and trying not to do what's wrong doesn't work. You will do what's wrong and not do what's right every time. Okay, well, you'll accidentally do a right thing from time to time, but because it's you acting independently from God, it's screwed up, it's messed up, it's wrong. Even the right thing is wrong. That's what the Bible means when it says all our righteous acts are like filthy rags to God. Because they're ours, not his. And that's what Paul's talking about in Romans chapter 7. He's not saying, you know, so don't bother being obedient. He's not saying don't bother being obedient. He's talking about how you're going to do it. Here's the thing I've noticed. If you tell me what the right thing to do is, my flesh will handle it. I'll say, okay, yeah, I'll do that. And before I even start, I've messed it up. Because I'm acting apart from Christ. So let me be, try to be more clear, because I started with this very bold statement that says, you trying to obey the Bible never works. The key in that sentence is you. <laughs> you, and I need to put in parentheses, acting on your own. You, acting apart from the grace of God in Christ. You, acting apart from the ministry of the Spirit to empower you and to uh, direct you. You, acting on your own. That never works. You are not to act on your own. And again, if you have fellowship with God in Christ by the Spirit, Why are you acting on your own, for heaven's sake? And yet, we have this battle. The flesh, me, that, the flesh, by the way, that, that Bible word, the flesh, here's what it means. You, apart from him. That's all it means. You, sometimes it's translated your sinful nature. Well, that's, here's what that means. Your nature, your human nature, which is sinful. That what makes it sinful is its deadness because it's apart from him. 
Well, now in Christ, we've got all this battle going on, raging in us, the flesh against the spirit, the spirit against the flesh. And Paul is saying, when the flesh volunteers to do the right thing, it always gets it wrong. So, do not act independently from Christ in your desire to obey. So what will produce obedience? Well, we've kind of already read it in chapter 6, and Paul comes back to it in chapter 8. In chapter 6, he said, offer yourself as an instrument of righteousness to God and stop offering yourself to sin. Reject the self-actualizing way and adopt the God-actualizing way. <clears throat> so, what will produce this? Romans 8. He says, at the end of Romans 7, he says, who, what's my way out? It's this desperate cry. You, you know it. Wretched man that I am, who will set me free from the body of this death? Thanks be to God, through Jesus Christ our Lord. All true obedience begins with dependence upon Christ. So he says, in chapter 6, yield to God in Christ by the Spirit. Give yourself to God in Christ by the Spirit. And then he goes on in chapter 8. He says, therefore, there is now no condemnation. This is the text we read earlier to those who are in Christ Jesus. So all the righteous requirements of the law have been fulfilled in Christ on your behalf, and it is credited to you on the basis of your trusting in him. And your trusting in him is simply just saying, yeah, okay, I'll have that. Thank you. Your trusting in him is, I will rely on his righteousness and not mine whenever I find myself standing before the judgment of God, which you already are and will be. But if I, if I need some righteousness in order to have any standing with God, it's only His that counts. But His counts for me. And Paul says it right here, what the law could not do, weak as it was through the flesh, God did. Sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh as an offering of, for sin, He condemned sin in the flesh so that the requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. Who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. So what works? Well, don't walk according to the flesh. Don't try to do this by yourself. Do this in fellowship with God, in Christ, by the Spirit. You rely on Christ. And then there's no condemnation. He says, those who walk in the Spirit, Those who are according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. Those who are according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For the mindset on the flesh is death. The mindset on the Spirit is life 
and peace. Peace with God. Reconciliation. This is simply talking about our responding to the ministry of the Spirit and putting our trust in the Savior, Jesus Christ. And in the end, if you go to the end of chapter 8, you will read this. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who's against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him over for us all, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? Who will bring a charge against God's elect? God's the one who justifies. Who's the one who condemns? Do you ever condemn yourself? Well, when you condemn yourself, you're in an argument with God. if he has justified you in Christ. Christ Jesus is he who died, yes, rather, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who also intercedes for us, who will separate us from the love of Christ. Let's see, tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, peril, sword, any of those things? It's written, for your sake we are being put to death all day long. We're considered as sheep to be slaughtered. But in all these things, we, are over, we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. For I'm convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Hallelujah. <laughs> God will see to your conformity to Christ. He says it right here earlier in chapter 8, right before the part I read. We know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his Son. If you are in Christ, that is the goal of your life. The only question is whether you are going <laughs> to adopt God's goal. And that's the choice. We're coming to, in Romans chapter 12, to present your bodies a living sacrifice. Or, as we had it in Romans 6, to present yourself to God as an instrument of righteousness. That is our choice. We're free. We're free. We're, now, we're no longer under the bondage and dominion of sin. We're no longer in Adam. We are in Christ and set free to live in a new way. Wow. So, therefore, Romans chapter 12. I want you to be encouraged. <laughs> you don't want to sin. There's a choice available to you in Christ. 
to present yourself to Him, to be His instrument, to obey in the Spirit by the Son. And uh, that is our opportunity. What a grand opportunity it is. In this way, we come to reflect His very nature, His actual love, which we have experienced, we share. And we become what Jesus said, this is how everybody will know you're my disciples if you love one another. Let's pray. Father, we give you thanks for the work you are doing in our lives. We praise you. Lord, we do come this morning and present ourselves to you. And we ask that you would employ us in your service, that we would exhibit the, the very intention of humanity in bearing your image in this world. We thank you for the opportunity you've given us in Christ. In his name we pray, amen.